When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. What is your name? What do you do? Where are you from? Those are usually the first three questions asked when a person meets someone new. Hence, our jobs are implicitly nearly equatable to who we are. And whereas a younger generation might often seek to trivialize the importance of one's job, the truth is, for better or for worse, whether we like it or not, when we die, people will most certainly remember us by what we did. Proper Christian theology teaches us that while we are not saved by our works, we are most certainly remembered by them. And so choosing the right career fields, therefore, is no small matter. As someone once said, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. And there is certainly some truth to that statement. Because as we all know, time tends to fly by just a little bit quicker when we're engaged in work that is both meaningful and enjoyable. So it is wise to choose a career field that aligns with our heart's delight. It's been nearly about seven years since Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple, died of cancer at the age of 56. And while he was alive, Jobs, who wasn't a Christian gave some inspiring advice to a bunch of college students once at Stanford University. He said, your work is going to fill a large part of your life. The only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking, don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know it when you find it. Now, he wasn't a Christian, but Jobs happens to be right in that segment. Our work does truly fill a large part of our lives. And so it is important for us, it is wise for us to ask some important questions from time to time. Questions such as, what is the purpose of my work? How can I find meaning from my job when my job is such a stressful, bottom-line-oriented place? Can I stay true to my Christian convictions and still advance in the career field? What's the right balance between work and family time? All of these questions are pivotal ones for having a productive life because like Steve Jobs said, our work is going to take up a large chunk of our lives. Christians especially, therefore, have to give thought to this one day 
as we will have to give an account to God for the way we spent our time and talents while on earth. Now, allow me to give you some context to today's passage. Earlier in John chapter 6, Jesus performed one of his most famous miracles in feeding 5,000 men with just five loaves and two fish. And John 6.15 gives us some insight that the other Gospels don't. It informs us that the people are so amazed by the miracle that they wanted to forcefully make Jesus their king. Now, if you ask me, this just shows that people haven't changed much in 2,000 years. Even today, the easiest way to get elected is to improve the economy. If you put food on people's table, people generally tend to let you lead. Jesus, however, was not seeking a worldly kingdom, and he promptly withdrew himself from public view. And later that night, Jesus famously walks on the sea in order to reach his disciples who are caught in some rough waters. You remember that. And together, they reach the other side to Capernaum. The next morning, the people who ate of Jesus' miracle loaves realize that Jesus and his disciples are gone. And so they quickly get into boats, cross over to the other side of the sea, because they're not going to make, they're not going to allow their miraculous bread maker to disappear that easily. And once they find him, that's when we pick up verse 25. They ask, Rabbi, when did you come here? If you didn't know, God is optimally concerned with our motivations. Jesus sees right through their intentions and look at how he responds. He says, you are looking for me not because you want salvation, but because you want more food. And herein lies an important question for all of us here this morning. We are gathered here for worship. But here's an important question. Why? Are you following Jesus? Are you here? Why are you here this morning? Are you simply looking for the gifts or are you looking for the giver of the gifts? Are you searching for healing or are you seeking the healer? Are you, do you simply crave the bread maker or are you hungry for the bread of life himself? Do you want a relationship with God or simply a ticket? out of hell. If, as in the story of Job, God took away everything you held dear, your kids, your wealth, your health, would you still worship Him as your God? Or would you turn away from Him in anger because He no longer serves your purposes? These are important questions to ask. They're important questions to ask because, quite frankly, God is not glorified if we simply view Him as fire insurance. Rather, God is glorified when we are able to say that Christ alone fully satisfies our deepest longings. No new toy, new job, or new relationship will ever satisfy you the way God will. Because whether or not you realize it, Augustine was right when he said that God has formed us for himself and our hearts will continue to be restless until we find our rest in him. You and I were made to find supreme rest and satisfaction in Christ alone. 
And no matter where you go, and no matter what you do, as long as you don't find God, you will never find that rest. So if you don't have that peace with God this morning, I urge you to turn to Christ while there's still time. Begin your incredible journey towards eternity, towards heaven, by believing in the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel? A very straightforward message. A profound message, but a straightforward one. A child can believe and be saved. Essentially, it has four points. That there is a holy God who exists, who does love you. But He is also a God of justice who must punish sin on account of His holiness. Number two, all of us here, we are sinners by birth. By nature, we are sinners and therefore we deserve the wrath of God. And that's bad news because that means when we die, the Bible tells us we are headed for hell due to our sins. Now the great news of the Gospel is that God loved you so much, He sent His only Son Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, who died on the cross for your sins. He took your place on that cross paid for your sins on the cross, and historically resurrected from the grave on the third day. So that if you would, number four, repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, simply believe in Jesus as your Lord God and Savior, you will have eternal life. That's the gospel. It is simple. It is profound. But it is the only message that saves. And as we are sitting here today, and hopefully many of us believing in that gospel, walking together towards that journey to heaven, we turn to verse 27, and Jesus here in today's text says something that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to an unbelieving world. Here's what he says. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Now, what does that even mean? Surely putting food on the table and working to get food on our tables is not wrong. In fact, the Bible is very clear that one of the main purposes of work is to provide for our families. It is a good thing. And it comes from God. There are verses such as, If a man will not work, then he shall not eat. Or if a man does not provide for his own family, he is worse than an unbeliever and has abandoned the faith. And so in light of such passages which clearly esteem the value of work and the value of working to provide for our families, what are we to do with verse 27? What does Jesus mean when he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Now here's what I believe the text means. I believe it means do not work for the food. In other words, this text is a reference to motivation, not so much execution. All of us can execute a task. The real question, the real issue here is the heart. The real question is, why are you executing that task? What is your primary motive for going to work each morning? When Christ says, 
When he tells us to labor for the food that endures to eternal life, he is instructing us to work with the primary motive of glorifying God through our work. Not despite it, but through it. In other words, don't simply work a job for a paycheck. Your life is too precious for that. And so the main takeaway from this morning's message is simply this. Go home with this. Our jobs are the primary means by which we fulfill our calling to serve both God and neighbor. I'm going to say that one more time. Our jobs are the primary means by which we fulfill our calling to serve both God and neighbor. Because whether or not you like it, the sheer volume of time we spend at work dictates that it will be the primary means by which God will fulfill His purposes through our lives. But if we're all honest here this morning, many of us are not too excited when Monday morning rolls around. Three decades ago, over 60% of Americans reported that they liked their jobs. Today, according to one report, the majority of Americans hate going to work. Over half of Americans reported that they were unhappy at work. And instead of viewing work as a sacred gift from God, many are now adopting a I work for the weekend mentality. You know what that is? It's a mentality that says, I work so I can play. So instead of viewing work as the main arena in which we discharge our calling to serve God, many are now viewing work simply as a means to an end. And this mentality is impacting everyone from the upper class to the lower class. It is really sucking the life out of all of us. Bright kids who have really no interest whatsoever in medicine are becoming doctors simply because the pay is good and it will afford them the vacations and the living standards they desire. Hate to mention this, but doctors, by the way, also have the highest suicide rate compared to people in any other line of work. Loving your job goes a long way in resiliency, does it not? I remember speaking to one sergeant who told me, Sir, the job doesn't matter as much as the paycheck does. As long as I'm promoted and the military keeps giving me raises, I will do anything the military tells me to. And like that sergeant, for so many young people, pay is the singular determiner for a vocation. And that's precisely the type of drive that Jesus is asking us to forsake in verse 27. Don't live life as a mercenary. Since life is so short, and because our work will take up such a large part of our lives, we ought to seek jobs that we find meaningful. So whether you're a lawyer, a stay-at-home mom, a group commander, don't ever make money or bread, as Jesus called it, the main motivation behind your labors. Instead, aim to find a higher purpose. And truth be told, we are actually hardwired to crave joy and meaning in our work. God created us that way because in that we crave meaning, we reflect our Heavenly Father who Himself always works meaningfully. 
If you don't believe me, there's an old experiment that might prove my point here. Many of you probably heard about it. Supposedly, some time ago, the U.S. Army employed two groups of formerly unemployed men. The first group was taken out into the desert and assigned to dig holes. They worked very hard all day in the scorching sun, and every day it was the same task. Go to a new location in the desert, dig holes, return exhausted. Yet they were happier than ever before because they were told that they were serving their country and their task was vital to national interests. Second group of men had a different job. Every day they would go into the desert to fill the holes dug by the first group of men. Of course, they weren't told about the first group of men. All they knew about their job was that they were being paid to fill holes. They didn't know how those holes got there, but they were tasked with filling them. And like the first group, they labored all day in the hot desert. This went on day after day. And at the end of each day, they too were exhausted, but satisfied for completing a mission on behalf of their grateful country. And lo and behold, they became happier as well. This hole digging and hole filling went on for some time, and both groups of men had significantly um, reported that they were happier than when they started their task. They were productive, and they had found purpose. And one day, the sergeant of each group went to the men to tell them about the other group of men and what they did. When the men realized that there was no real purpose to the jobs they were doing, they were devastated. Nevertheless, the experiment continued, the pay continued, and so both groups of men continued to dig and fill. Interestingly, for every single man, without exception, the hole digging and hole filling became misery, sheer misery. Both groups of men were extremely unhappy and reported such unhappiness. Even though the pay and work was exactly the same as before, they were now miserable. Nothing had changed except that their sense of purpose had now disappeared. Such is the power of meaningful work. Now, unquestionably, there are different seasons in life. Some of us are currently called to be students. Some are working temporary jobs in order to eventually get somewhere more ideal, to fulfill the calling we believe God is calling us to. And that's all fine for some because even the military is simply the means to fund an education at times. I understand that. Others are currently working their trade right now and excelling at what they do. And still others have already finished their careers and are now working in different capacities while in retirement. But whatever your current calling is, whatever job you're doing right now, I urge you to check your motivations to see if it was and if it is for the Lord. Instead of working for a paycheck, work for eternity by doing your job for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Because there is nothing more thrilling than knowing that you are being used for what God created you for. Now, as I was writing this sermon, I thought of Wheezy, the penguin, from the movie Toy Story. 
If you recall Wheezy, Wheezy was the, the sad, dusty penguin who sat on the top shelf full of toys that Andy didn't play with anymore. All the toys on that shelf were sad for the same reason. They were no longer being used for the purpose for which they were created. And I thought the scene beautifully caught this fundamentally biblical truth. Again, there is no feeling more exhilarating than the feeling of knowing that God is using you for your grand purpose, for his grand purpose. And throughout history, God has used fishermen, tax collectors, shepherds, and even ancient slaves to do his work. You see, friends, at the end of the day, it's not about socioeconomic status. It's not about how much money you've made, nor is it really even about what you're doing and what you're accomplishing. The real questions are, why are you working and who are you working for? Why are you working and who are you working for? Are you putting forth your best effort in order to serve your neighbors so that Christ could be magnified through your job? Are you living for the audience of one? You know, as I close this morning, I want to leave you with a story that I think drives this point home. It's a story of a young violinist who lived in London many years ago. Although he was a superb musician, he was shy, and so avoided giving concerts. But after enduring criticism for his unwillingness to give concerts, he finally agreed to perform in one of the largest concert halls in all of London. And on the night of his big performance, the young violinist came in onto the stage and sat alone on a stool, and he put his violin underneath his chin and for an hour and a half played the most beautiful violin music one could ever hear. After the performance, the the crowd rose to their feet and began applauding wildly. They would not stop. The young violinist didn't acknowledge the applause. He just peered out into the audience as if he were looking for something or someone. And finally, he found what he was looking for. And when he did, he promptly ran off the stage in tears. After the concert, the critics met the young violinist backstage. And they asked, you were wonderful tonight. Why did you leave the stage in tears? The young violinist took a deep breath and answered, Tonight, just before I came on stage, I received word that my master teacher would be in the audience. Throughout the concert, I tried to look for him, but I could never find him. So after I finished playing, I started to look more intently. I was so eager to find my teacher that I couldn't hear the applause. I just had to know what he thought of my playing. That was all that mattered. And although everybody was standing and applauding, I finally found him high in the balcony. And while everybody was standing and applauding, my teacher was not. And friends, I share this story with you because soon and very soon we will all stand before our God and Master. And while the praise and accolades of our neighbors are incredibly meaningful, I urge you to live your life for the audience of Christ alone. 
Be exclusively faithful to Him. Keep your life from idols. Wherever you go, continue doing God's work by sharing Jesus with the world. Share the gospel with the lost. And one day when your work on earth is done, the only thing that will matter is your Lord welcoming you home and saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word today. I pray that all of us would not labor simply for the bread, 